Welcome back to episode six of the Boar Sport Podcast with me, your host, Luke James. Coming up on today's show, I'm going to be talking to James Palmer of the Boar Film and Sam Matthews Bomer of kind of the Boar at large. And we're going to be discussing the return of English football, starting first and foremost with the return of the Premier League. Of course, this episode is going out on the day the Premier League returns, this Wednesday. Um, and if you want to hop over onto www.theboard.org/sport, you will find two articles about the Premier League returns. But before we get into all of that, James, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Um, exams being over is a is a real blessing. Uh, pitches being out for the latest ball film articles, uh, even if no one ever takes them, is is also a good blessing. <laughs> and just generally relaxing around the house, even in lockdown, is 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 always quite fun to just be lazy. Definitely. And James, before we get into the show, I hear you've got a podcast to promote this week. Yeah, we do. Um, that was released yesterday. Uh, it's very good to have a podcast out again and be expanding in multimedia. Um, I think it's a really good conversation. So I was interviewing a longtime friend of mine who's been a, a regular on Call the Midwife Rages and been in the film with um, Tim Roth, who Tarantino fans will certainly know, uh, and also talking about his recent um, Black Lives Matter activist, uh, activism and... Um, talking about kind of those issues uh, in film in general. So uh, if any if any of that sounds interesting to the audience of Ball Sports, then I highly recommend checking it out. Awesome. Um, Sam, how are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you, Luke. Basically the same as James. I've just been sitting around the house doing nothing. Didn't even really have... I'm fine. Awesome. Um, and I hear you've recently had an article on the Ball Sport too. I have, yeah. It was about general League One and Two stuff, which I consider kind of my area of speciality. Uh, I wrote a bit about Coventry and all around the play upcoming playoffs, that kind of thing. So yeah, go and have a read. Awesome. And there's definitely so, so much to talk about with regards to the Football League. But before we get into that, of course, tonight, the Premier League returns with its opening set of fixtures. We have Aston Villa versus Sheffield United at six o'clock. And then at around eight o'clock, we have Manchester City versus Arsenal. Although if we look at the standings, there's so much left to play for going into the last nine games of the season. Of course, at the top of the table, Liverpool are, what, 25 points clear ahead of Manchester City. The title at this point is all but one. And they could, in fact, win the Premier League title this Sunday in the Merseyside derby. So that's something to look out for. Manchester City in second position with 57 points. It seems... Impossible to me anyway to see Man City falling out of the top four, although of course there are wider ramifications with that in general. And then behind them we have Leicester, Chelsea, Manchester United, Wolves, Sheffield United, Tottenham and Arsenal separated by what? Five points. So it's going to be such an interesting run in towards the end of the season. Um, to We'll start off with Sam. What do you make of the race for the Champions League places. There are there any teams that you think kind of are shoo-ins to be kind of featuring in Europe next year? I think part of what makes it so exciting is that there are no real shoo-ins. I mean, every team on the list that you've just read out has its weaknesses. And you're looking at teams like Sheffield United and Wolves, who previously would have had no chance of even making uh, the places near the Champions League are now, are now fighting in amongst it. So... I think it's probably the most exciting thing that's going on in English football at the moment, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And James, we speak about teams like 
Um, so at the minute, Wolves are in sixth position with 43 points. Sheffield United with a game in hand in seventh position, also on 43 points. How refreshing has it been to see kind of teams breaking through into the top six this season? Um, I think for me personally, I found it uh, really refreshing um, because I think Sheffield United have kind of this real kind of workmanlike spirit uh, throughout the team. Um, and it's not a team of superstars. Uh, I, To be honest with you, I couldn't name any of the starting 11 for Sheffield United, but um, I've enjoyed watching them through match of the day and watching Chris Wilder's tactics, um, like kind of jazzing up the Premier League, certainly with his overlapping fullbacks. Um, and with Wolverhampton Run- Wanderers as well, um, I think it's very impressive that, um, you know, this is their second season that they've been in the Premier League. And um, they're even go- they're storming through the Europa League at the moment as well. Um, when uh, the traditional big six, uh, you know, such as Arsenal, have crashed out of Europe, where, um, you know, who would have thought that would happen? sure um and the interesting thing especially with Sheffield United is that they go into the restart currently what in seventh position on 43 points this week they face a double game week they face Aston Villa on Wednesday at Villa Park and then on Sunday afternoon they travel to Newcastle United so that's two games realistically that that Sheffield United could win this weekend and of course if they do win both of those games they would jump all the way up into fifth position regardless of what the likes of Manchester United and Wolves were able to do this weekend um Talking of those two games, can you see Sheffield United slipping up against kind of Aston Villa or Newcastle this weekend, Sam? I mean, because you've got the added factor of the uh, fact that there's going to be no fans in the stadium. I think part of the reason Sheffield United's success has been the backing of their fans at Bramall Lane. So I think they might find it slightly more difficult than they, than they have been and they have found it. In the, pre, in the Premier League so far this season. But I think those two games, especially Aston Villa, should be easily winnable, especially away from home. And yeah, I think we'll see them in the Champions League places sooner rather than later. For sure. And then if you kind of start to look below the likes of Wolves and Sheffield United, the two teams in eighth and ninth place respectively, you've got Tottenham in eighth after 29 games on 41 points. Arsenal in ninth position, play 28 games and are on 40 points. Of course, Arsenal have a really tough opening game away at Manchester City. Um, James, do you expect either of the North London clubs to make it either into the Europa League or the Champions League, or do you think kind of the season is too far gone for both of them? I point. think, yeah, for, for Arsenal, I think it's I think it's pretty much gone. I think that as well with the COVID-19 pandemic, um, the the type of football that Arteta is really trying to implement there is very kind of high energy, um, high pressing um, football that uh, emulates Pep Guardiola in some ways, obviously from his time working with him. But I think for the fact that um, these these guys will have been out of football um, for for so long and they're just not going to be at the level of fitness, even when they were playing um, at first with Arteta Ball, uh, putting that in air quotes I suppose that's how it's been christened at the moment they were struggling with it you could see they were tired and I think it's just going to get even worse without um without without that uh the months of football the one thing I think will improve for Arsenal is away form because I think that they just they really seem to go into their shell in away games and I think it's a mentality issue that's been there for a very long time 
Um, with Tottenham Hotspur, on the other hand, uh, look, I think that a lot of people think that Jose Mourinho's completely finished. Um, I think that we probably underestimate how big of an achievement it was for him to come second with Man United in places. I think there may still be one or two minor miracles that he might have on him somewhere and getting Tottenham Hotspur to the top four could potentially be one of them. I think the issue or kind of the thing that makes Tottenham interesting under Mourinho is the fact that this is a manager who's been around the Premier League, gone to multiple clubs where kind of you weren't, you wouldn't dare kind of switch between, you wouldn't dare to go from Chelsea to Manchester United, you wouldn't dare to go Chelsea, Man United, Tottenham. But this is a manager who clearly doesn't particularly care about those kind of allegiances. And I think Tottenham will be, not to put this in a crass way, but they'll be one of the beneficiaries from having the league kind of on hold for a couple of months, given the fact that now Harry Kane is back in contention to be kind of in the starting lineup. So Tottenham, of course, and this kind of brings us on nicely with kind of the links to Manchester United. Tottenham based Manchester United at kind of Tottenham's new stadium this Friday. Um, we'll throw this one over to Sam. What do you expect from Tottenham versus Manchester United? Um, and at this point, are you brave enough to make a prediction as to who might win the game? I'm expecting a comfortable Man United win, to be honest, as, as hard as that is to say. Um, I think before lockdown, their form was really improving and you had the added factor of Bruno Fernandes. He seems to have given the whole team a real pickup. And you contrast that with Tottenham, whose lockdown has not exactly been the most successful. You've had like Sir Jorio getting people into his house to give him a haircut. And you've had Mourinho training three players or something like that in a local park, which you're just not allowed to do. So I think kind of atmosphere around Tottenham as a whole is is not the best at the moment. And I think that will translate into their form on the pitch. And I'm expecting a comfortable Man United win and Tottenham to fall very quickly down the table, I'm afraid to say. What do you think of that, James? Do you think kind of Manchester United will win kind of on the road this, this Friday evening? Um, well, so the last Premier League game I watched was that very entertaining win uh, from Manchester United uh, against Manchester City. Um with Scott McTominay's uh, wonder goal after Edison threw it into no man's land. Um, so I think that if, you know, in if lockdown um, hasn't affected Man United then particularly much, um, I my prediction would be that they would win this game. I don't think it would necessarily be comfortable. I think that Tottenham might find um, some way to to at least threaten to spoil the party and maybe get a goal um, at some point in the game. But I I would agree that I think Manchester United are going to win. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that pretty much rounds off all the teams in the top kind of half to talk about. Before we move on to the relegation battle, of course, Liverpool have already secured their place in the Champions League next season. If we assume that Manchester City will be banned from Europe for the next two years, which kind of other three clubs, if you had to make a hot take prediction right now, do you think will qualify for the Champions League next season? Um, For me, ideal situation would be Leicester, probably combined with Sheffield United and uh, Wolves. I always like the story of the underdog. But realistically, I'm thinking it'll probably probably be Leicester, Chelsea and I'll say Sheffield United because I just love their story and 
love the fact that, as you said, no one really knows any of their players and they're just a great, great kind of united bunch of players. So I'll say Sheffield United. And over to you, James, who do you reckon will make the Champions League next season? Um, I think it will be Leicester City, Chelsea and Manchester United um, if we're assuming that fifth place will um, take the last Champions League spot because um, Manchester United's run of form uh, I could only really see continuing. Um, uh, Chelsea as well, I think Frank Lampard's got them in a, a good place to build off of for next season and their transfer activity is, um, is saying that... Uh, there is no reason why they can't potentially challenge for the title next year. Uh, and Leicester City, I think, are they managed to have a really good first half of the season that I think uh, made sure that they were far enough ahead that they don't particularly need to be scared, um, you know, all going well uh, for of dropping out of that Champions League spot. Um, can I just add to that? Part of the reason why this Champions League race is so interesting to me this season is because all of the teams are so bad, really. I mean, they've all got massive weaknesses. You look at Man United, their team for their game against Man City. I mean, Luke Shaw was there, Fred was there, Matic was there. You compare that to Man United midfields of the past 10 years and it's nowhere near kind of Champions League quality or title-challenging quality. You look at Chelsea, a team who have, are relatively solidly in the Champions League places. And every time I've watched them this season, their weaknesses are so clear clear to see. And you just, you just kind of despair at what the kind of upper mid-table of the Premier League has become over the past few years. But yeah, that makes them more, more exciting, really. For sure. In the article I wrote kind of about the race for Europe uh, that you can now find on the board, um, I said that this season has been about kind of the top two the chasing pack and kind of the people threatened by relegation. What I would say with regards to the Champions League, I do worry a little bit about Leicester because kind of if you look at their form towards kind of the end of the first half of the season or kind of before the the suspension, it was on a bit of a decline. Jamie Vardy has been pretty kind of off colour since Christmas. And if you look at their fixtures, they're still in um, they're still in the FA Cup, which could be problematic given the fixture congestion. So, for instance, they're playing on the 28th of June in the FA Cup, the 1st of July and the 4th of July. So that's really kind of quick succession. But before the end of the year in the Premier League, they have to play Arsenal, Arsenal away from home, Tottenham away from home, and then Manchester United at home on the final day of the season. So if they lose a number of those six pointers, they could be in a little spot of bother, although I do kind of agree. They're on 53 points at the minute, Manchester United on 45. It would be difficult to imagine kind of Manchester United making up that number of points. Um, And now kind of the business end of the table, the relegation battle, there are six teams as we enter the restarted Premier League campaign in, in the conversation to stay up or be relegated, of course, Brighton in 15th position, play 29, 29 points. West Ham in 16th possession, play 29, 27 points. Watford, play 29, 27 points. Bournemouth, 18th, play 29, 27 points. There's a theme recurring. Um, And then the bottom two, Aston Villa are in 19th after playing 28 games on 25 points. And at the bottom of the table, Norwich City, 29 games, 21 points points there is so much at stake I think this is probably the worst season in Premier League history to be relegated given the financial consequences of dropping out of the top flight 
kind of in tandem with the coronavirus and its impact kind of on the financial side of football. Um, I'll throw this one over to James. Do you think there's any chance that Norwich will get out of the red? No. <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't see it happening at all. Um, uh, I like what Norwich have tried to do with being more expansive uh, with their football, but certainly in attack, um, they seem to be a bit of a, a one-trick pony with um, their, their playmaker whose name I can't pronounce. So uh, I, I, won't, I'm, I might not try and do that. The one. Yeah, Buendia, that's the one. Thank you very much. Um, it seems like Buendia has been their real catalyst. Uh, and while Cantwell and Pookie have had their games, um, it seemed like teams have just kind of singled out Buendia. And once they've marked him out the game, uh, Norwich don't seem to have that kind of Swiss army knife of players that you'd want in a Premier League squad to create goals, if, especially when you're trying to play the expansive football that Daniel Fark is trying to do. I'm going to throw this over to you, Sam. So before the end of the season, Norwich are yet to play and have to play before the end of the year. Brighton, the Hove Albion, Watford, West Ham, Southampton, Everton and Burnley. Um, and of course, they're only, what, six points, seven points behind the teams in front of them with regards to getting out of the relegation zone. Do you think if Norwich pick up wins against the likes of kind of West Ham, who are in kind of dire straits at the moment and... If we look at teams as well, kind of up in mid-table, at this point, what are Southampton, what are Everton and what are Burnley playing for? Is there even a glimmer of a chance of Norwich staying in the division? I would love to say that there was because I really like what Norwich have been doing this season. As James said, their expansive style of football and the fact that they didn't buy many players in the last summer transfer window. But ultimately, I still think it's going to take something pretty special for them to stay up. I mean... Everton have really picked up since Carlo Ancelotti took over. Southampton the same with uh, Hassan Huttel. And I just think those teams would simply be too much for Norwich. They might pick up a point here or there against Watford or West Ham. But I think the gap's slightly too, slightly too large for them to make up. So, yeah, I don't think Norwich have much chance, I'm afraid to say. Sure. Um, over to Aston Villa, who are currently in 19th position. Of course, this week they have a double game week because... That season was truncated in the middle of the last kind of the catch-up fixtures before the coronavirus set in. So tonight they take on Sheffield United at home and then on, let me find their fixture, on Sunday afternoon they face Chelsea at home. Um, I'll throw this to James. Do you think they've got any chance of picking up points this weekend? And if so, will that be the start of a revival for Dean Smith's team? Um, well, to, to put my biases right on the table, um, my housemate supports Aston Villa, so it'd be really funny to watch them get relegated. Um, but apart from that, I think that against Sheffield United, I can't see anything really. Uh, I think they're more likely to pick up points against Chelsea because uh, it wouldn't surprise me if... Um, I feel like the team spirit uh, will and the system... Uh, and the players having been there for a long time means that uh, all of Chris Wilder's players know what they're doing on the pitch and have done for a, a long time, and it's been a very successful system. Um, Frank Lampard's still kind of tinkering here and there, and I suppose the, there are also the surrounding uncertainties that are, um, you know, uh, 
the players who run out of contracts um, and so on. Uh, and I think that they, Chelsea might be a bit more stop-start than Sheffield United certainly would be, like we saw with the opening game of the season this season when they lost 4-0 to Manchester United. And Manchester United were absolutely dire at the start of the season. Uh, could that then go on and inspire um, Aston Villa? Uh, you, you know, I suppose it kind of depends on Jack Grealish's form more than anything. That That is also, I suppose, another example of a, a one-man team in places. I think Aston Villa's an in- interesting case because obviously they've got a player who in Jack Grealish is so, so talented, so good on the ball, kind of has defensively as well this year shown that he has got quality. Um, but of course, Aston Villa have the league's worst defence. And when you compare their spend with the likes of Norwich City, that's a little bit kind of awkward at this stage in the season. Another team that has struggled defensively this season is AFC Bournemouth. So currently they sit 18th position, level on points with the two teams ahead of them, West Ham and Watford. But they have quite an interesting run in. I'll, I'll just read their fixtures before the end of the year. So they have Crystal Palace. Wolves, Newcastle United, Manchester United, Tottenham, Leicester, Manchester City, Southampton and Everton. So there's a couple of tricky games in there. They've got Manchester City, they've got Tottenham, they've got Manchester United. Um, This is Bournemouth's fifth season in the Premier League after winning promotion from the Championship. Sam, do you think this is the end of the road for Bournemouth? I don't think it is. I think Eddie Howe been in situations like this in the past and he's managed to pull Bournemouth out of it I think yes they've always had a pretty terrible defence but their attack always manages to score quite a few goals and I think that'll happen again towards the end of the season I think Bournemouth also have the added factor that their home atmosphere isn't the most isn't the most daunting thing to come up against I mean I think their stadium's only got 10,000 seats so it's not really a fault of their own but I think they'll benefit almost from there being no fans and um, I think home advantage, which may have been lost for other teams, it won't really matter for them. So I think they'll pick up points in games you wouldn't have expected them to pick up points in beforehand. So looking at Leicester and maybe maybe Newcastle or something like that. So yeah, I I think they'll they'll find their way out of it pretty comfortably. And... James, what do you make of Bournemouth? Because for many, many years, they had this reputation of being a team that played attractive football, high-pressing football, that scored lots of goals. Do you think kind of Bournemouth have retreated from those kind of ideas or has this kind of been more of a blip over recent weeks? Um, I think Bournemouth are interesting because when talking about Aston Villa and Norwich City, um, I've talked about how kind of Buendia and Grealish have been catalysts for both teams. But for Bournemouth, you don't really have a player like that. You've had Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson, who in previous seasons have been really good um, for Bournemouth. Uh they've not been firing uh, in the same way this season. And that's, I think, where um, Bournemouth's Bournemouth's problems have kind of arose from. Um, I think it seems more that their problem, as much as uh, conceding goals is a problem, um, they still haven't conceded as much necessarily as their rivals. I mean, they're on 47 conceded, but then you look at the teams around them, you've got Southampton, uh, West Ham, Aston Villa and Norwich, who've all got worse defensive records. 
but you have a look at goals scored and you see that uh, Bournemouth haven't even hit 30 this season, which a few teams around them have, have um, also, you know, underachieved in that way when it comes to scoring goals. They're on 29, whereas Watford and Norwich City are, are lower than them and Crystal Palace are lower than them up in the table. But I think it's just as much a problem if they've not been creating and producing and they don't really have someone who's firing, well, who was firing on all cylinders pre-lockdown who could be that catalyst. So if Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson come back and they, they manage to hit the ground running, um, then... Bournemouth have got every chance of staying up. But um, if if they come back and their form's as lukewarm as it was going into lockdown, then it, it could be um, the end of Bournemouth's time in the Premier League. I think the match between Bournemouth and Crystal Palace, which of course kind of makes history in itself because it's the first Premier League game to be broadcast free to air on the BBC, um, that's going to be so massive for Bournemouth if they are going to climb out of the relegation zone because after that they face Wolves and at that point it might start to get a bit tricky. Um, Sam, I'll throw this to you. With Bournemouth and Crystal Palace, that match on Friday evening, do you think Bournemouth will be able to find the points there or will Roy Hodgson's side have too much kind of in the tank for them? Um, I would I would back Bournemouth for that game. I think as much as James says that uh, their, their attack hasn't really been firing this season, he's completely right on that front. I think the lockdown will have really helped them. I think Eddie Howe having the opportunity to work with all of the players for a prolonged period of time will have helped them kind of get back on the right track. And as opposed to that with Crystal Palace, I've never really been completely convinced by them across the season, although their points tally is pretty impressive considering the players that they've got. I just don't think they've got what it takes against a Bournemouth team that will be inspired to, to win games and to try and get out of the relegation zone. I mean, Palace are in mid-table. They don't really have anything to play for. So, yeah, in that game, I'll be backing Bournemouth to win, I think. Sure. And if Bournemouth do win, they will climb ahead of Watford, potentially, depending on the results. Watford this weekend take on Leicester on Saturday afternoon. So that's a really, really big game for Watford, of course. They changed the manager earlier this season. They've now got Nigel Pearson in charge. What have you made of Watford under Nigel Pearson, James, since kind of he took over this year? Well, um, I've got a fun link to to Watford, which was um, uh, so the the head of the legal team uh, at Watford uh, used to be a, a trainee solicitor under my mum. So that's uh, that's the fun there with, with regards to employment law. So I do my heart goes out for him because he's been very busy for the fact that Watford have changed their manager twice this season. And um, I think that Nigel Pierce, uh, in the same way that he did with Leicester all those years ago, he seems to have somehow kind of, he seems to be the one guy you really go to for like miracle escapes, uh, because it seems that he did that with Leicester. And although he's never really called out much to, to save teams from relegation, whenever he is, it's always in the most dire circumstances possible. But he also, he, he also seems to, give them a glimmer of hope. Um, I think for, even though Leicester are a good team and Watford's form hasn't necessarily been the best recently, I mean, neither has Leicester's really. Um, when you've got the weapon that is Ishmael Assar and you've got um, Liverpool's scout this season ending their invincible, well, quote unquote, invincible season that they were 
that fans were hoping they'd go on and do. I think Watford are, uh, are t- they're a team at the moment that even though they may seem down, I would never really count them as out. Sure. Um, so, Sam, Watford take on Leicester this weekend. Do you think Watford have enough to pull away from the relegation zone? Of course, they were very, very low in the table before Pearson took charge. Do you think Watford will have enough to stay up? I think Watford will have enough to stay up, yeah. I think, as James mentioned, Ismail Assar is a difference maker for them, I think. His kind of drive and pace on the on the right wing is something that teams find very hard to go up against. And I think with the added factor of Pearson behind them, he's a motivator, he's been in this position before, I think they'll quite easily find their way out, especially when you look at the teams that they're competing against. Uh, you've got David Moyes, West Ham, and Graham Potter, who, as much as he's a very good manager and gets Brighton playing a very nice style of football, uh, isn't really experienced in this kind of situation as as Pearson is. So, yeah, I think Watford will find their way out quite quite comfortably. And you speak of David Moyes' West Ham. So West Ham at the minute play 29 matches on 27 points. James, what do you make of West Ham this season? Of course, a lot of talk around East London about how West Ham this season were going to be challenging for the Europa League. They were going to be in the top half. They were going to improve under Manuel Pellegrini. And instead, West Ham have regressed, appointed David Moyes and now find themselves embroiled in the relegation battle. Do you think West Ham have enough to survive? Um, well, West Ham's greatest output uh, this season seems to be Karen Brady constantly crying in her columns on on the Sun. Um, it seems that she seems to bring kind of a really dour mood around the place, especially complaining about COVID nineteen things. And I think that's going to be something that's going to be a, a bad cloud that's going to hang over kind of the the attitude at the club and the attitude among the people working at the club. Um, I think that those words certainly don't help um, when you consider as well their situation that they've had all season. Um, I was really surprised when they, well, I'm really surprised that they're even in this conversation. When you think of the amount of money they've had poured in them in the last few years and you think about their squad, uh, especially Felipe Anderson. Um, who last year was an absolute shining star throughout the whole Premier League. Um, but this season hasn't really produced as much. And I, I'm i not particularly sure as to what necessarily has gone completely wrong, but the players just don't seem to necessarily have their hearts in it. It seems to be some sort of factor of motivation. And even though David Moyes managed to get them out a couple of years ago of, of a similar spot, I'm not so sure if he has it in him this time to do the same thing. And Sam, if you look at West Ham's first three fixtures after the restart, they face Wolves on the 20th of June, a 5.30 kickoff. After that, they have a London derby against Tottenham away from home on the 23rd. And following that, they have another London derby, 1st of July, a 8.15 kickoff, which is somewhat novel. They face Chelsea at the London Stadium. Out of those three games, can you see West Ham picking up any points at all? Sadly for you, Luke, I'm afraid I can't really see any points being picked up there. Um, Wolves will be fighting for... I mean, they'll all be fighting for their spot in the Champions League next year. And as as James was kind of hinting at, West Ham don't really seem to have the motivation or the unity to fight their way out of the relegation battle. 
yes, you've got the players, you've got players like Felipe Anderson and Sebastian Haller and um, Declan Rice and people like that. But as good as they are as individuals, when they're together, they just don't seem to be able to, be able to produce on the pitch and against teams as good as Wolves and uh, slightly less good Chelsea and Tottenham, I think. Um, I don't think you have much of a chance, I'm afraid to say. As kind of a advocate for watching kind of average German football teams, what I've noticed since the Bundesliga restart is, is, is that the teams who play on the back foot, play with a mid-block and try to soak up pressure have really struggled. So teams like Union Berlin, who play quite a deep kind of passive block, have really struggled since the restart, although they did get a good win this weekend. And another factor to bear in mind as well is that home field advantage, and James alluded to this earlier, in the Bundesliga has been pretty non-existent with the exception of teams like Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. A lot of teams have slipped up at home since the Bundesliga restarted. And of course, kind of the great irony in West Ham's predicament, they sit just above the relegation zone. In fact, they sit above the relegation zone by the difference of three goals. Um, The irony is Karen Brady spent so long campaigning against neutral venues. West Ham are now in a situation where they have to play at home, perhaps in a situation where home teams aren't even advantaged in the first place. So West Ham, I think, have a huge ask on their hands if they are going to stay up. And as you say, West Ham are a team with good players are a team who have spent a fairly decent chunk of change, although not so much in net terms when you think about some of the bigger players that have left the club. Um, My last point on West Ham is kind of an interesting one. So on the final day of the season, West Ham host Aston Villa at the London Stadium in what could could essentially be a relegation playoff match. Um, Kind of if you had to fast forward to the end of July, do you think kind of West Ham or Aston Villa will go into that game hoping to stay up or do you think kind of the boat would have already sailed? Um, I would say the boat will have already sailed, I'm afraid to say, Luke. Um, I think David Moyes is just not the man who's going to motivate the players he's got at his disposal in this kind of situation. I don't think West Ham will, be much, will have much to play for at that point and if they do, I hope I think Aston Villa are the only winners in that kind of game. So we haven't had a particularly ringing endorsement for West Ham on the podcast. (laughs) Um, A team two points ahead of West Ham in the standings, Brighton and Hove Albion, to give them their full name, um, for so long have been in the Premier League and haven't really been engaged in a proper relegation battle, much like Bournemouth, in fact. Um, Brighton have played 29 points, are on 29, rather, they've played 29 games and they're on 29 points. James, do you think they'll be relegated or do you think they've already got enough kind of in the bank at this stage? Um, I think that Brighton and Hove Albion will have the kind of mentality of what a relegation battle's like because they kind of had to go through one uh, last season as well. And that obviously led to the eventual um, managerial change. I think as well that um, Brighton's problem at the moment is not necessarily the fact that they're losing too many games. It's more the fact that they're just not winning enough games. Uh, since in 2020, they're the only club in the Premier League uh, that I, uh, to my knowledge, that haven't picked up a win yet uh, in this calendar year. So I think it's going to be um, whether they can necessarily turn that around. 
uh, again, uh, this is a side in the bottom half of the table that likes to be a bit more expansive with its football and doesn't necessarily want to play a low block as much. And considering what you said, uh, Luke, about low block uh, teams in the Bundesliga not faring as well, um, I think we've got to think that this would be a massive disadvantage for teams like Newcastle, uh, who have played a low block and have managed to do it very effectively thus far. But for the fact that that is, out of all of the styles of play, probably the one or one of them certainly that will require the most running and the the highest fitness levels from the players, then it might not, you know, they might not be able to sustain uh, the, the the level of concentration for 90 minutes that would be required for them usually. So Brighton and Hope Albion, um, certainly against Newcastle uh, and certainly against other teams who might try and play like that, I think would certainly have an advantage uh, for the fact that they're kind of trying to play football a bit more. Brighton have a really interesting set of fixtures as well. They kind of kick off their campaign on the 20th against Arsenal at home. Then they face Leicester, Manchester United, and then Norwich um, at Carrow Road. After that, they face Liverpool and Manchester City, both games at the Emma Amex, rather. And then the final three games of the season for Brighton, they face Southampton, Newcastle United, and Burnley. That's among kind of the kindest run of fixtures towards the end of end of the season we've seen. Um Sam, do you think Brighton by that stage will be safe anyway? I'm afraid to say I think Brighton, as much as I've enjoyed watching them play this season, I think Graham Pratt is a really exciting young young manager, but I think Brighton could be one of the teams to be relegated, to be honest. I mean, if you look at their form and look at them compared to teams around them, they've simply drawn too many games. They've drawn 11 games this season, which suggests that either they can't really get up the motivation at the start of the game and go a couple of goals behind and then bring it back or at the end of the game they they kind of struggle to see the game out and I think that kind of suggests a mentality that isn't really ready to fight for relegation against relegation and as I said before Graham Potter is a manager who doesn't really have the same experience as a Nigel Pearson or Eddie Howe in, in these kind of situations so I think Brighton will really struggle towards the end of the season and I could potentially see them getting relegated. Well, to round off the section on the Premier League, I am actually going to ask you to put your money where your mouth is. Um, so we're going to go first over to James. Which three teams do you think will be relegated this year? I think it's going to be Norwich, Aston Villa uh, and West Ham. And Sam, over to you. I think it's going to be Norwich, West Ham and Brighton. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw my um, two pence in at this point. I'm also going to say West Ham, Bournemouth um, for me. And I'm also going to say Aston Villa, which is a bizarre bottom three to be sending down. But my justification for that is I think if you look at Norwich and if you look at Watford, I think both of those sides have to play a lot of the teams around them. And I really don't fancy, and I say this kind of as you've alluded to, Sam, as a West Ham player. I don't, I don't fancy West Ham to beat to beat the likes of Watford in the games that really matter. So I worry a lot for West Ham, and I think Norwich are a team. This is an outside bet, but I think Norwich are a team that if they get started quickly, there's potential for them to be able to turn it around. Although, of course, that is somewhat of a long shot. Of course, though, the Premier League is not the only competition 
returning in the coming days and weeks. And I speak to two fans of clubs in the Football League to kind of varying degrees. So we'll start off with the Championship. The Championship returns this weekend. And of course, much, much discussion about kind of who's going to make it into the playoffs and who will go up automatically. At the minute, Leeds United sit on 71 points, West Brom on 70 points, and then behind them, Fulham on 64. Behind them, you have um, Brentford on 60 points, Nottingham Forest on 60 points. And then there's very much a tight grouping behind that in contention for the final playoff place. You have Preston North End on 56, Bristol City on 55, Millwall on 54, Cardiff City on 54, and then a couple of teams further back on 53 points. Um, James, do you think Leeds are going to win the title? Um, I'm not sure if they will win, but I think this will be the season where they finally manage to get promoted. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's one point between them and West Brom. I think that both teams will be consistent enough to stay out of the playoff places. And I think both teams will come top two. It's been clear all season that they've just been a mark above in quality. Um, the rest of the table opening day of the season was quite painful to uh, to watch Bristol City lose 3-1 to them, even at home. Uh, and they've just kind of kept going. And to be honest, I would enjoy seeing what Marcelo Bielsa brings to the Premier League. I think he's a very interesting manager and certainly a very interesting person as well uh, in, in the way he acts and the stories about him um, with regards to football. So um, I, I think that they will come up and I think that the Premier League may indeed be better for having Leeds United uh, in, in it once again. The other team, of course, in, in title contention were relegated last year, West Bromwich Albion. Sam, do you think West Brom will be going up automatically? I think I completely agree with James. The two teams in the automatic place at the moment will be the teams that will get automatically promoted to the Premier League. Um, as as James said, Leeds, Leeds have been very good this season and I think... The lockdown will have really helped them because at this time of the season, they usually have what's known as kind of Bielsa burnout in that he's worked them so, so hard that they kind of, they're so tired that they struggle even against the weakest teams in the division. And obviously they've had a prolonged break now, so that won't be as much of a factor. On West Brom, I think they got Slavan Bilic, a manager that West Ham were too quick to let go. Uh, someone who's kind of in this been in this kind of situation before and he's got the players who have been in this situation before you've got Charlie Austin you've got Camille Grzycki who used to be at Hull you've got Jake Livermore you've got loads of leaders who who know how to get a team promoted and I think West Brom will quite comfortably go up along with Leeds who I think will be the champions so if Leeds and West Brom are going to be promoted automatically, that, of course, leads us to the conversation about who might make the playoffs. The current occupants of those spots are Fulham, Brentford, Nottingham Forest, and to the surprise of many, kind of based on pre-season predictions, Preston, North End. Although behind them, you've got Bristol City, Millwall, Cardiff City, Blackburn Rovers, and Swansea, and even kind of further down the table, Derby County, also in contention. If you had to stake a bet now, who do you think the four teams will be to make the playoff? I think Fulham, Brentford and Nottingham Forest have all shown themselves to be strong enough to keep up the form and make the playoffs. I think the team that takes 
sixth spot is going to be a really interesting battle. You've got loads of really strong teams there and teams that were quite unfancied as well, as you said, Preston and teams like Millwall as well. But looking at those teams, I would say I'm predicting Preston to stay in that position. I think they've got Alex Neal. He's a great manager, he's constantly led Preston to heights that no one really expected. And I think I think he'll pull them through. And I think they'll take that final playoff spot. So I'm saying Fulham, Brentford, Nottingham Forest and Preston. So basically as it is at the moment. Sure. Um, and as we get closer to the championship kicking off, you'll be able to find more kind of information and content about kind of the Football League over on the board.org stroke sport. Further down the Football League, of course, League One and League Two clubs voted to curtail the 2019-20 season, meaning that a number of clubs were promoted automatically, relegated and entered into the playoffs. Of course, in League One, Coventry City have been promoted as champions to the championship. The first time they've been in the second division of English football since 2012. Um, Rotherham United were also promoted automatically in second place. That means that the teams entering the playoffs in League One, Fleetwood, uh, Fleetwood versus Wickham and Portsmouth versus Oxford United. Being relegated to the fourth step of English football, you have Tranmere, who have apparently against the decision. Southend United and Bolton Wanderers. Sam, what did you make of kind of League One and League Two clubs' decision to curtail the season? Was it the right thing to do? Um, as I said in my article, as much, as much as there's been a massive debate over the ending of these seasons, I think this was really the only way to do it. I mean, you had the teams that were protesting against ending the season in this way were Peterborough mainly and Tranmere. And those two teams have massive things to play for, have a massive amount of money to play for, which the other teams in and around them simply don't have. So teams such as Rochdale and Accrington Stanley, the teams that have been really hardly hit by this, by this coronavirus crisis. And were they to put on more games, as I say in my article, they'd have to spend hundreds of thousands on testing players and that kind of thing. And that could potentially put them in danger of going into administration or even or even um, completely dissolving as a club, as we saw with Bury earlier this season. And I just think that's not a risk that we should be taking, just, just so that a couple of teams can potentially get their massive payout. So I think this was the only way to end the season and the right way to end it. Of course, one of the main beneficiaries of the decision was Mark Robbins's Coventry City promoted as champions to the second division. James, how, how much of a buzz will it be on campus to have a team kind of flying high in the championship so close to us on kind of Warwick's doorstep? Um, I'm not sure. Well, considering that I spend most of my uh, I'm not sure if any of them even know what the rules of football are. So I'm not <laughs> sure if, um, certainly from my end of things, if I'll see much of a buzz. But I certainly, it will be my silver lining if Bristol City don't get promoted to be able to find a City away match, which I've not done before, um, and uh, enjoy watching us. Luke, I think, I think the Warwick students will be loving it. I think there'll be parties out on the street as soon as we get back. I think uh, sky blue and white flags will be waving. I think 
I think we'll all be heading down to the Rico Arena next season to be loving a bit of championship football. I, I think Coventry should just have the trophy kind of parade when it's kind of advisable to do so on campus. Just have like big double. Yeah, why not? Driving through campus, most of the people on campus will have no idea who these people are. Um, <laughs> and then they'd, they'd get to Roots and then have to turn around and do a U-turn. So it, it, it would be disastrous. Um, of course, we're assuming that, that Roots, the road by Roots, still won't be open. Although it feels odd kind of at this time to be talking about campus at all. I certainly am missing it. Of course, in League 2, Swindon, Crew, and Plymouth were promoted automatically. Cheltenham versus Northampton is the first game in the playoffs. The second is Exeter versus Colchester United. The team relegated out of the Football League is yet to be decided. At the moment, it will be Stevenage Town, although if Macclesfield receive another points deduction, it will instead be Macclesfield. The final question of the podcast, because I appreciate that we've taken up a fair chunk of your time today, goes over to Sam, a Colchester United <laughs> fan. Um, can you see Colchester winning promotion? I think I think we've been quite unlucky in that we've drawn the hardest possible game that we could have done in the playoffs. I think Exeter have always been a bit of a bogey team for us and contrast, contrast them with Cheltenham and Northampton, two teams who have been relatively successful against in the past. I think we've been incredibly unlucky. But but you know you can never say never, and I hope that this break will have given us a bit of time to reflect on our form before lockdown, which wasn't the best. And I think we could go into this with the whole town behind us, and hopefully, maybe get a result that could send us to a completely empty Wembley Stadium, and then hopefully, after that, to promotion. And I, th- I think that's a good way to end the podcast because, of course, the playoffs this year will the playoff finals that is will be held at Wembley in front of a capacity of zero supporters, which is just such a bizarre way to finish what will be for all the people involved such a bizarre season. However, this has been episode six of the Boar Sport podcast. Thank you so much to James and Sam for joining us. You'll be able to find links to all of the articles we've mentioned and, of course, James's podcast, the Boar Film podcast, in the description of this episode. Until next time, stay safe and we'll see you soon.